All right, everybody. Welcome back to another week of Growing with My Fellow Growers. I'm your host, finally back, Jack Greenstock, this week. And I'm joined, as always, by a panel of amazing growers and uh, IPM specialists as well. Just general badass dude. I'll pass it over first to him, change it up a little bit, to Matthew Gates. Yeah, hey, everyone. This is Matthew Gates, Integrated Pest Management Specialist. If you are interested in some free pest information, you can come across my YouTube channel, Zenthanol. Also, my Instagram, at SyncAngel, where I just posted a really interesting video about uh, jumping spiders and their two big front eyes, how they can shift their retinas um, inside their body. And because it had a clear body, you could really see that easily. And people really found it interesting. So yeah, you can find me there. It was pretty cool. I definitely watched that. I was just kind of demonstrating how you could see like there's these two little things behind their eyes. And as they looked a certain way, you could see it kind of shifting around in their head. So uh, very cool information as always. And next up, Spartan Grown. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, everybody. This is Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram. That's my only social media. I've still got a lot of pretenders on Facebook, I guess. But uh, only on Instagram, Spartan Grown, all one word, no spaces. And um, if you don't have an Instagram, you can shoot me an email at spartangrown at gmail.com. And uh, I know both organic and synthetic gardening, so I can help you with either. All righty. I just made it so everybody could share a screen if anybody wants to share something later on. And next up, Kyle Breeder. Hey everybody, my name is Kyle Breeder. I'm a cannabis breeder and genetic consultant. Uh, if you're into either of those things, you can find uh, seeds and stuff like that on my website, which is purebreeding.com. Um, happy to be here. A lot of cool stuff coming up in the works. Uh, I'll be able to release a little bit more in the future. Um, but yeah, just happy to be here. I'm glad we're all still alive and safe and helping people. And uh, yeah. Happy to have you back. Next up, Noah the Grower. How's it going, everybody? I was uh, in Las Vegas last weekend, but uh, happy to be back with everybody. I'm Noah the Grower for Instagram. You can find me there. Uh, I've been a medical grower for, I don't even know, 11, 12 years now. I've been involved in cannabis my whole life. and uh, Happy to be here. Happy to have you back. And last and certainly not least, uh, I think Aaron the Grower is joining us later, but the American one. Oops, sorry. Yeah, I'm the American one on uh, the YouTubes and the American one underscore with underscore Keens on the IGs and uh, Jack and panel. It's great to be here. It's good to see people in chat. And uh, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Definitely some great people. Sungrown 707, Ancient Soul Grown, Rowdy 420, uh, Sour Diesel Tangy, Smot Poker, just to name a few. There's definitely a lot of great people. Make sure you're in the live chat. If you haven't already clicked over to that, it'll make sure you can see all the messages and you're not randomly having ones filtered out and you could really participate in the whole community discussion. And if your questions are answered in the chat, which oftentimes uh, panel members like Spartan and others will answer back in the chat, you might not be able to see it because uh, YouTube decides to arbitrarily filter out certain things. So make sure you're in that live chat. But without uh, further ado, the American one brought up a pretty good topic right before the show. And so I was like, we got to go live and talk about this. So, uh, right, so can... yeah, let me let me uh, frame it better and uh, adjust it just a tad bit. All right. So you're going to do a hash run and you have two different plants and you're going to end up with an ounce of hash off of each one. OK, off of the same run, the same thing. OK, but one plant has big resin heads fat big resin heads and one plant has smaller resin heads but i guess like more more resin glands which one do you think would be better is there a difference and uh yeah why 
I'll start and I'll say that, yes, there is a difference because physically the size of the resin is different. So it melts differently. It's got a different surface area. And in my experience, a lot of people don't tend to love the 20 micron bag, the 45 micron bag, unless you're growing sativas that have really small, highly developed resin heads, it tends to be. And for the longest time, the gold bag was the 73 and the 90 micron bags. So those are a little bit bigger. So if we're just talking even like 45 versus 90, I would take the 90 bag. And if we're going to talk about an ounce and let's say 80 or 90% of it's in my 90 to 120 bag, I'd rather have that than 80 to 90% of it be in the 20 to 45 bag because 99 out of 100 people I come across prefer that kind of higher bag. And that tends to be where maybe it's anecdotal and, and maybe there is also some science behind it. Like maybe there's more cannabinoids in a larger resin head because it has more space. It can physically hold more and get more swelled up, but I'm not pulling that from any scientific data. That's just um, my guess. But across the board, I would say most people are looking for uh, larger resin up into, I would say like above 160, because most of the time that's more like the hairs, like 160 to 120, people call that like food grade. And um, you're not typically seeing like full melt hash in those ranges. So I would say I would err on the larger side personally. Yeah, I guess I was thinking more like, I think whenever <laughs> I've ever done bubble hash stuff between 70 and 90 is the best. I don't care what plan I ever did. Those were the best, but I guess some people were saying even they have even larger resin heads than that, that are good. You know what I mean? Have you guys ever heard of that? Like, well, I guess the 120. Just, yeah. I think the most desirable thing just in my head, thinking about it, physically speaking, is, is that if you had most, if they in the end weighed the same volume wise, but it was the difference between a lot of small heads or a few large heads. I would much rather have the few large heads because there's less waxes and lipids that we're trying to remove anyway. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be wax and lipid on the outside of every trichome. So if you have yeah, more trichomes, it's going to be sure. more max waxes to pull out. So just in that aspect of it, I think the large would be better. Um, but as far as, I mean, if you can guarantee it's the same volume, I mean, just see what the effect is. I don't know that there's a different, when you say that you like the 73 better, you like the 73 better because of the flavor or you like the 73 better for another reason. Well, Personally, yeah, I think it's both. It's flavor and the high. It's just better quality for me. It's also the like, melt. The the main thing. The yeah, the melt. Yeah, so yeah. Also, think about a joint. If you roll a joint that's that fat around, that's like got a lot of surface area, it like a, a, a cannon at the end, it's going to be a little bit harsher to tug on than a pencil size joint because the cherry is much larger. So surface area does matter in terms of like when you're heating something up, it'll melt quicker or slower based on the surface area. And also like a bong bowl, if you like hit the corner of the bowl versus like lighting the entire top of the bowl, like the larger surface area, you're burning more material, things like that. And having experience from smoking resin a lot, I used to do full keef bowls and hash bowls and things like that. Um, the smaller resin burns hotter, it seems. Like when you're erupting a lot of smaller resin heads, it just burns a little bit harsher in my throat than when I'm burning a 73, a 90, or even a 120. Um, I think maybe because there's more of them, there's more larger or there's, there's fewer large heads. So like, I don't know, maybe, maybe when the resin head pops, there's like something being given off that makes it more harsh. And if there's a thousand of them versus a hundred of them, a thousand little pops versus a hundred large pops, I don't know. But um, 
it's definitely interesting because I, I noticed that this yeah, I think it's what Spartan said about the wax and lipids because if you have like little ones, they're all covered with that. So maybe 50% of that head, you know, or whatever, could be that wax lipid. Whereas with the larger head, maybe only 25% of that mass would be a lipid or a wax. Well, that's like a water balloon. So if you think of a resin head as a water balloon and the wax and lipid is just the rubber, if you're blowing up a water balloon or an air balloon, the more air is in it, the you know, less rubber is technically taking up the volume. So the more THC and terpenes that are inside that resin head swelling it out, the less of its actual fat and lipids and things like that. And the other thing is with smaller heads, I know this just from, uh, I had a really early pull one time and had a lot of short heads and small heads, and it was damn near impossible to get that shit off the stalks. So when they're short, uh, tiny little bulbous heads versus the long glandular trichomes with a thick head. Um, and there's even a guy called uh, Farmhouse PDX is his uh, Instagram page. He has what he calls weak neck phenos where the resin head comes up to a point and then it pinches down and then the head goes out. So those, the heads just literally come flying off with very, very little effort. So when he's washing, he can do a very gentle, he uses a whisk tech is what he calls it, like a, a whisk you'd make a cake with and just very gentle, uh, very short washes. And he pulls basically pure white or like kind of sandy yellow hash. So I definitely think that the shape and size of the resin head do matter. So if, if we think, or if, if you say, uh, Tal, like we were saying, when you smoked, say the 73 and you got the best effect, but then you smoke, say the 120 and got a different effect. Um, so then are we to assume that there's different cannabinoid makeup and terpene makeups and the different size heads is, and, and then I can, I can totally understand that maybe happening, but then consistently being that way, like consistently in big heads, there's this. Well, like, yeah, to be honest with that. I don't know if they're the only way we could do, I guess, would be test results on dry sift on the different. I only tried the like guys. 120 or higher once because it was just so bad. I didn't want to smoke it. Like, like, like you were saying, make it uh, for edibles or something. But I'm sure there's like contaminants or like maybe even plant material that gets stuck in there. And I don't know. It just seems like every single one I ever did, the 73 or the 90 bag, is just killer. So, but yeah, some strains have bigger heads than others though, too. And, and also with the ripeness, like Frenchie would say, that first little shake is like, when it's a ripe tree, you shake the tree, all the ripest fruit's going to drop off. Then after that, you're like, you got to shake it harder. And then like the ones that are attached. So if it's a premature uh, harvest, it might be stuck. You know, the resin glands might be a little more sticky to the plant. Bubble man is quoted by sir dirty in the chat saying 73 to 120 is usually the best depending on strain uh and trichome size uh, i've heard sam the skunk man talked a bit about this he's done a lot of dry sifting over the years and he's had some strains that will pull like 150 full melt 160 full melt and uh, i haven't seen a ton of that but i also think it depends on the size of the plant because he grew a skunk one and he dry sifted it in a like a four inch pot so it was like a you know less than one foot tall plant and then he had a hundred gallon pot in the same room, same clone, but the plant was over 10 feet tall. It was just a fucking massive plant. And he said when he did the dry sift, the larger plant made larger dry sift. So it has more time to physically develop. It makes sense to me from a physiological standpoint, but I do think that there's probably exceptions to that. Like if you found a very short, like squatty Afghani plant that has just crazy ass big 
resin heads because maybe that's what its genetics are developed to do. But I think if you're working the same genetic, a larger plant is going to tend to have a little bit larger resin would be my educated guess. Because it's a taller plant, you know what I mean? Having something to do with the intensity of the light. Could be. There's so many factors that go in. It's really fascinating. Yeah, it's so, That's why it, it makes so it really hard to study cannabis. Um, and I think just agricultural sciences in general can be a little bit misguided at times because they think they're studying one thing and they haven't done a proper job doing the proper control. So like keeping the environment the exact same, like even just having the exact same soil mix in two pots. Like if you're doing a side-by-side, -side, having making sure it's exactly the exact same soil mix, um, unless you've got a good machine or somebody who can do it really well by hand um, and take the time then it's difficult to, and even if you do take the time to try and do it your best, it's very difficult to get damn near 95% the same, let alone 100% the same. So there's a lot of factors and it can be very, very hard to judge. Noah, what do you think about this whole uh, big resin, little resin situation? Do you have any preference? Yeah, uh, I definitely like the big heads and I thought it was really interesting what Spartan said too. Like I know about, you, I know a little bit about this and I know you want to pull the, the fat, the, the wax and the lipids and all that stuff out. And I never really put two and two together, but the smaller ones would have more, but it just totally makes sense. But I just instinctively from doing it, you know, allegedly in the past, I, uh, yeah, I, it, it, the, the fat ones will work better for me for sure. Yeah. And I wonder if the, uh, if the wax really is or how much thicker it is, you know, as far as, as large as it's getting because i don't know i genuinely just don't know what the surface pressure would be or you know if you could have like a a thin shelled trichome head and if that would even be desirable because if it's too thin uh you know it'll rupture more easily perhaps before you're able to use it if it's too thick you know like the rind on a fruit you know it might add a consistency that's not desirable or or more desirable potentially but um I can speak directly to that because certain heads are more, well, even just like looking at terpene uh, tests and, and cannabinoid profile tests, Brandon Rust sent me some of his first ever Limorilla phenos. It was still being called GG4 crossed the black lime reserve in one of the tests, but two of the phenos I looked at, one of them stands out because it was the highest terpene test I've ever seen. It was 12% terpenes and 26% overall cannabinoids. Ridiculous. Like, and I only believe it because I've been to Brandon's grow and I see what he fucking does. The guy's a absolute beast but um the other one same exact cross black lime reserve to gg4 was like i want to say 34 32 percent uh cannabinoids and six percent terpenes so i had double the terpenes but uh less cannabinoids in the one the first one and half the terpenes and higher cannabinoids in the second one and just thinking about those two if you looked at the resin of them under a microscope a 12 percent terpene resin head just knowing what terpenes look like, it's going to have all these little bubbles and oils inside the resin head. You can physically see them. Like if you take a jeweler's loop or a thousand X microscope, when you're looking in there, it looks almost like a Eagle Gardens has his little profile picture is like a, a trichome. And it almost looks like there's a skull because there's like little, uh, like almost eye shaped and like mouth shaped and nose shaped little darker areas that are terpenes inside the resin head. And so I do think um, even like the same exact cross can have fairly large variation within an individual trichome head or even across that whole plant. Cause like they don't take individual trichomes to test them. They're grinding up the plant and testing it for its percentages and things like that. But it's, um, 
something I think that needs a lot more study for sure. But um, a lot of hash makers have been documenting macro photography, showing off resin heads, especially the uh, dry sift people. If you look at some dry sift people, they'll show you like they're cleaned up uh, dry sift and you could see the actual little, it looks like caviar. <laughs> it's like a bunch of tiny little balls. And um, the ones that zoom in even closer and closer and closer, you can start to see the different things in there. And I, I think that uh, most cannabinoids are colorless, but some of them do have color, like CBN, I believe turns red. And um, so it's interesting the what makes the trichome look how it looks, especially when you get real up close. Uh, there's a lot of really good photographers out there. Eric Nugshots, um, many, many great cannabis photographers out there. Yeah, and like, um, I know that in other plants and also possibly cannabis to some degree, I also agree that more research should be done. Um, there is some interesting research that I remember reading, but I cannot cite the exact name of the source. Um, but they were talking about uh, how maybe in past populations, uh, different trichomes were uh, more chemically disparate but nowadays, um, that's perhaps not not, sort of not as much the case um, because of hybridization. And I guess that's also certainly true for other plants where you can have different parts of the plant be different. Obviously, there's non-glandular and glandular trichomes. Um, I was actually just talking about uh, in, a, in a script that I'm writing about spider mites, about how um, defenses like just the non-glandular trichomes, just like being raised on the surface like that, kind of makes it very hostile for a for a small little herbivore like a spider mite for example to like get its mouth part close to the surface and then also to like walk on it's kind of um difficult so i don't know i think that's really interesting i wonder what though i wonder how big a trichome can get before it basically bursts really easily well that was the um one thing that i kind of forgot to mention when i was talking about the differences between cultivars was uh, the major hash makers will tell you this one is better for dry sift than bubble hash because if you wash it in bubble, all the terpenes uh, get sucked out in the wash. You can smell that hash water. Um, the reason is because there's flavonoids, terpenes, and other aromatic compounds that are being water soluble. THC, for example, is not. You don't really have to worry about the or actual THC. I think Spartans at THCA might be water soluble, but. Um, Yep. It's just, they call it somewhat water site, whatever the fuck that means. So it, I don't think it, it transfers well into water, but it can, especially for a long time. Okay. Yeah. So with hash washing, I don't think people are, especially looking at like the results, we're getting high 60% sometimes in the THCs and cannabinoids and a handful of terpenes, anywhere from like one to 10% terpenes and a lot of hash. So it's uh, an interesting thing to think about for sure. And I think that we've definitely covered this issue quite well. And maybe we could talk a little bit about growing to actually get to the hash. Um, because a few weeks ago, I wanted to be on the show. I thought I might be able to make it for the Easter, Ramadan, and uh, I think Yom Kippur maybe was that day too. There was like three holidays in one, but I missed it. My plan for that day was to do like ways to resurrect a plant or bring a plant back from the dead. That's kind of just like a fun little allusion to the day. And um, we've talked about that once in the past, and I think I titled it six ways to bring a plant back from the dead because there were six of us on the panel and now that there's five of us we could do like five ways to resurrect your struggling or dying plant and um one just because i think the 
YouTube SEO, put that out there. And so it's like one of our most viewed videos ever. And uh, I think a lot of people are like, oh, wait, there's like, you know, at least six good tips in there for resurrecting a plant. My plant's fucked up. So I need to go back and listen to that one. So um, not that we intentionally mess up our plants, but I know a lot of us do consulting. We work with uh, new growers. We have been new growers ourselves at one point or another, whether that's Tao 30, 40 years ago, or, you know, anybody in the audience who just started this very year, a lot of us, uh, we were all new growers at one point. So it's good to kind of give some perspective from that point of view and even experienced growers. You could just get busy in life and uh, the garden gets out of whack and you might have to rescue something. So I know even like Spartan said a few months ago, he had a timer issue and he had to like, you know, put a bunch of stuff into flower and harvest a bunch of stuff that he wasn't planning on. So we can all get ourselves into a situation where we're kind of fighting from uh, digging our way out of a hole, I guess. So I guess I'll pass it first to uh, Tao because I think he's got the most experience of all. And maybe you could give us one to start uh, a tip or trick. If you've got a struggling plant, how do you go about bringing it back to good health? 30, 40 years ago, I'll be 28 next year. Jack, what are you talking about? I, I'm not including the fact that you age in reverse, but I'm just talking about the fact that you said you started in the 80s or 90s. And I can't believe that it's 30 or 40 years ago now. It's really um, unique, honestly. You can forgive him for forgetting. In any case, yeah. my Recently, my newest thing has been uh, uh, earthworm casting seemed to fix a lot of the issues that I'm having. Um, so... And obviously, if um, if your plant's dying because you haven't watered it in a long, long time, then obviously giving it some water would help a lot. Because that's, that's usually the time where I'm, I ever get scared is like when either the temperature changes or I just, you know, something happens and I can't get to them. And uh, that's when they droop and they look like they're dead. And just giving them water, it's amazing how, how a totally dead looking plant will come back. But yeah, earthworm casting seemed to uh, fix many things. And I want to give everybody else a chance because I want to use up everybody's answers. But I know. No, that's fine. Honestly, it's it's uh, I think you gave a, a good answer there. And we we have at least five of us on the panel tonight. Aaron, the grower is going to be joining us about halfway in. So he could probably drop some advice on this as well. But, yeah. Uh, I'll, yeah. Let, I'll leave it at that then. Yeah, definitely earthworm castings. That'll be my first go to either uh even even just put it in a in a jug with water mix it up shake it up and give it to them or top dress it and water it in uh, both seem to be good out of those two do you notice uh, a more immediate or stronger effect from either or or are they about the same well um the what what i do sometimes is i'll put it i'll uh i have a jelly strainer bag that i'll uh put the earthworm castings in and i'll just do a wa i'll run water through it through to a spray bottle so i could actually foliar spray too but you need a really good filter and um yeah so that's what i would do with that but i think either way is pretty good and either way also if you even if you do the you know extract shake up in the bottle and pour it on the the clumps will be in the on the container eventually anyway so it, it stays there and it'll help you know further on and um i actually have a pretty good idea of why you don't do it, but maybe for the listeners out there, could you explain why you're doing an earthworm casting extract, which is like a short wash 30 minutes or less for the most part, I'd say 10 to 15 at the most for most people versus like a actively aerated compost tea where you'd put it into a bucket and bubble it for, I don't know, 12, 24, 48 hours until you get a microbial mass going, things like that. Well, from my understanding, there's a lot of different controversy over that one. But, you know, they could say when you make it, 
you don't really know what is you know what is multiplying greatly in there so you really don't know what you end up with and my theory and i've read you know other uh tea um supplies like that that would have um some that you could put in a, a in a compost tea brewer they say you know also it's just like if you just mix it up and pour it on where it ends up in the soil you're going to have air pockets in there and it's going to be moist so they're going to be able to grow in there as well if you're going for the microbial lift of the whole thing and for for the humic acid and stuff too when you do with the earthworm casting supposedly that's what really flies off a bit easy when you do that rinse like that into the spray bottle and even when i do it into my um you know to the watering can i will do that too uh i'll pour it through so that it gets some uh agitation and you know i and i wring it out good so it gets some juice in there um but yeah other than that i mean if you want to brew it i mean go ahead people like i like i tell everyone whatever your results is if the plants love it then it's probably good if your plants uh are not doing well then rethink things <laughs> yeah that's always good advice there and um it's funny i used to i want to do the second one oh, okay i'll pass it to you next but i just wanted to make a point on the compost tea thing it was i used over 100 of them with great results is because my hydro store was giving them away for free every wednesday and sunday so i'd go in there and i'd get it for free and i'd give it to my plants and they'd have good responses from it um, but when I actively started making it myself at home, um, one, it's noisy and you're running a pump. So there's electricity increasing your costs. And um, there is the potential for bad bacteria and things to form and things like that. But uh, more so than anything for me, my wife just fucking hated the sound of that fucking pump running and it was just taking up space and uh, inconvenience. So that was uh, something that I avoided and I've switched to the worm casting extract as well. And I've had great results, similar or as good as the uh, compost tea, but I'm not one of those who like poo poos compost tea. And it's like, Oh, it's, it's terrible. It's going to kill your plants. Cause I've seen it only have positive results on all the plants that I've ever used it on. And a lot of people that I know use it with great success. The one advice I'd give on actively aerated compost tea, and this is from uh, Patrick of green bicycles, G R E A N who's a high times cannabis cup winner. He um, advises smell it. If it starts to smell sour, then you've probably brewed it too long and then it's probably not going to be good for your plants. So um, just a general tip, if it smells sour when you've brewed anything uh, that's compost, it's probably gone a little bit too far. But with that said, Matthew, uh, tip number two for how to resurrect a plant or bring it back from the dead. Well, I just wanted to say that up front, obviously, like what you do is going to depend on what, what the problem is, right? But like, you know, aside from that, um, you know, trying to find, I guess I would say to try to find that, right? To target what this sort of issue could be. Um, I also want to mention that the uh, the holiday I think you were referring to is Yom HaShoah, which is uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day. So um, <laughs> uh, I just wanted to put that out there. It wasn't uh, Yom Kippur. But my favorite thing to suggest to people, um, like kind of a step zero thing with IPM at least, is to um, just kind of assess from top to bottom, you know, like the foliage, flowers, if you have them, fruit, if you have them, right, in that kind of context, moving down the plant. And if you don't have like a scouting pattern or profile, everything is different for different people. Uh, definitely depends on how many plants that you're actually growing. But I find that it's really helpful to have like a system where you take a couple of leaves from an individual and look at them at different parts of the foliage. Uh, if you suspect that you have some sort of pest problem or you notice something interesting 
or sort of out of place, like maybe stippling damage or uh, chlorosis or something like that. Looking at the stem can also be helpful. Some pathogens like uh, Fusarium I've definitely seen in this context, but there's also Sclerotinium, um, which is like a whitish cottony fungal growth that can happen on branches and stems. So that can happen too. And then moving down, if you can actually access the roots, I definitely recommend that people regularly do that. Um, obviously rice root aphid is the thing that a lot of people think of, especially if you're bringing uh, cuttings in, right? That's a very common vector. Uh, but it's also kind of helpful to know if you can, if you have access to it, to see just how the roots look like. Are they getting brown often? Um, are they very uh, sort of, are they rotting even? That can be really important and, and give you some signs of that maybe an abiotic problem rather than a biotic problem is going on. Or maybe you have a biotic problem like fusarium or pythium or something that's taking advantage of a fundamentally abiotic issue. And can I just cut in? For the yeah. layman out there, Absolutely. abiotic versus biotic factors. Could you just uh, give people like the two second rundown on what an abiotic versus biotic factor would be? Yeah. So like a, so a, a factor caused by an organism that's alive versus one that's not. And I think so it's... As just a quick example, like you were talking about root rot, uh, abiotic factor might be you're overwatering or something like that, or underwatering, making the roots unhealthy versus an actual pest, which would be a biotic factor. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's really important to know uh, kind of like how these things occur, right? Just having like a some of that background knowledge you'll get as you like study, um, as you look things up, as you uh, watch various people's videos and tutorials. So you had to be careful. You always want to corroborate that with some research because sometimes uh, people misspeak or they just simply are talking about something that's more complex or something like that. But it's very common for um, like overwatering, for example, to not be targeted, but like have a pathogen that comes from the overwatering, like in your example, be targeted. Um, or looking at something that's totally unrelated, as you all well know, I get tons of uh, questions on social media specifically about pests, but also specifically about predatory mites and springtails and mold mites and things like that, which are generally not really a problem, although there are certain cases where they are. Um, and so like just misdiagnosing things is very common. And uh, I guess this is a great uh, situation to just have people um, and implore people to be more conscientious of that. Learn your pests, learn your um, common problems and don't think that you're immune to them no matter what your experience level is because the strongest swimmers most often drown. That's a great quote. And it's so true, um, but people don't like to acknowledge that because when you've been doing something for a long time, it feels like you could get comfortable and uh, you don't have to worry about X or Y or Z, if, especially if you haven't faced it before. But that first time is going to be brutal if you're not at least a little bit prepared. I like to have things on hand um, for pests that are likely and expected um, instead of having to go out and buy it, for example. Like some people, if you don't have a gardening store or something nearby, it might be two or three days until you can get the proper product to apply. So in that two or three day period, you might have quite the uh, infestation versus if you just had that product, like I know Spartan Grown over there has got wettable sulfur just waiting. And uh, if he needs it, he's going to hit something with it. And they're not waiting a day. They're not waiting two days. They're getting it right now as soon as he whips it up and he starts spraying it on. So that's a good tool to have in your tool belt, so to speak. And um, 
I think with that said, I could pass it over to Spartan Grown and maybe you could share a tip on how to get your plants back to good health or resurrect them from the dead. Okay, I'm going to share a couple. Um, one, because Todd took mine, so I'm going to share it anyway. But earthworm castings is my go-to number one thing I do. First thing I do if I suspect uh, some kind of a nutrient issue, if the plant's not happy, you know, anything outside of pest issues, I'm going earthworm castings. And uh, the way I do it is, is I usually will do a top dress of, uh, so if I'm in pots, I'll, basically in all my containers, I'll do about a half inch. So it's fairly thick of earthworm castings, a whole layer. And then I water it in so that it's sopping and the water will just sit there and be like an earthworm, like what Tao kind of described, except for I do that on my pot. I just, and I let it soak in good. I make sure that the pot is dry for, you know, not super dry, but enough so that I'm not overwatering. And I just, that usually eight out of 10 times is, will fix whatever was going on. It, it might take three or four days, but um, it usually fixes the problem. Uh, and then um, my other one was going to be in, so that was an organic situation. And in a synthetic situation, it's, it's simply flush. Don't be afraid to flush your media in a synthetic situation. If that's an option, especially like cocoa, <laughs> uh things like that because you just reset the media man just fucking mix up a nutrient of what you want the fucking media to be and flush it through until the the output is the same as the input or fucking close or at least so it's, the answer is not always more calmag when you're in <laughs> no it's just just replace not always i mean that's the easiest that's the easiest thing to do in a in like a home situation you have one or two pots man you can do that pretty easily just you know Flush it with straight water if you want to, right from the get-go to flush out what's in there and then come back in with some nutrient that you know is mixed correct. Make sure your meters are all, you know, calibrated and everything and mix up a correct nutrient solution and put it in there. And that nine, eight out of 10 times will fix your problem too. That's a great uh, tip for hydro for sure. I know most of the new growers and just even experienced growers I work with that ask for help online. If I ask them, what's your runoff? Most of them are going to say, I don't know <laughs> if they can tell me, um, that's a good sign, but it's usually high. So they'll say, I'll say, what's your runoff EC. I like to work in EC because as Dr. MJ has mentioned many times, there's like three different PPM scales. And depending on which one you give, like a 500 is like equivalent to a thousand and one of them. So that just shows you like PPM is all over the place. So in EC, um, like if we're using like the, there's micro Siemens and millisiemens, I, I like to go by like the 1.5 or 1.2 as opposed to like you know a thousand micro siemens or whatever it is so i think most people will be fine with their lighting and environment at around or below 1.6 ec um 1.5 is probably going to be fine i see very little reason to be going over two ec like spartan was just talking about on like giving it a flush so if your number that you're looking at if you've even measured it um, is above two and your plants are struggling I think that is likely why there's probably lockout. You have too many nutrients, not too few. And when there's too many, they are actual like salts. And when that water goes away, that salt locks up those roots and it makes it harder. I'm oversimplifying a bit, but it makes it harder for the plant to uptake not only nutrients, but also water. So they're literally, even if they're sitting in a soaked medium of cocoa, if it's soaked in really, really salty water, it's gonna be hard for them to uptake any water to drink and survive. So uh, great advice there, Spartan. And I think the, um, Next up will be Noah the Groa. Yeah, that was the one I was going to say. Um, and then I'll just say this. 
So if you're growing in like soil and you're doing an organic base with a little bit of salts, you can flush, you can do that. But another thing you can do is just give it water only. So if you're used to giving your plants like a five gallon bucket, you're used to giving it like a third to half a gallon, just give it the same normal amount of water. And if you still, you can even do that like twice in a row. And if your plants are on like a schedule where it's like you're going to water them every couple of days, another thing I'll do is I'll just give it a little bit of water the first day, just straight water. Then I'll do it again and I'll give it a little bit more water. And then another thing you can do is if you're being lazy, like some growers might do, you make sure that uh, like your utensils you're using to like measure your nutrients, like the cup, the shot glass thing, or the little syringe thing you got, clean those. That usually can help. Sometimes the if you look inside the nutrient bottle, there'll be, there'll be, it'll build up. There can be like a filmy buildup that if you're not shaking it up, there can also be mold in there. If you have bottles been sitting around a couple of things that I like to look for are the problems that I've ran into before. That's a good. That's a good one. Uh, I've ran into that before too myself. And that's not something that you hear a lot inside those bottles. Take a look inside them because sometimes you, you get surprised when well, some of them, even ones that aren't that old, you're like, what is going on here? They might have been sitting on a shelf for years. You know, that's what people don't think about is uh, they're yeah. not brand new when they get to you. They might be have have been sitting there or behind, you know, like three in front of them that got bought earlier. And that was the very last one from the shipment that they got two years ago or whatever it is. So um, some nutrients don't go bad in time, like if you keep shaking them and you don't contaminate it. I think a lot of people make the mistake of you mentioned this as well, Noah, that your utensils if they're not clean, you can be causing cross contaminations that you might think are minor, but there's a reason there's an A and there's a B. You can't have the A in the B because if you do, they don't store well together. It starts to make things like either solidify or they have reactions in the solution that'll mess with the pH. Um, they can even just change the entire NER or chemical constituent that you're trying to give the plant. So you think you're giving it CalMag and nitrogen or whatever, but really there's a bunch of phosphorus in there because you've been using a really heavy phosphorus you know laden dropper and if you do that once twice or, or whatever uh you might think oh it's nothing but over a year or two years you've done it once every day and it's 365 times a year so like after three years you've done it a thousand times if you've got a big bottle and that's really going to change that solution up so uh good good advice there a uh, way to get around that easily is if you just have a cup of like tap water or something you can syringe up the solution and then squeeze it out and get most of the remnants and drops out of your um, droppers if you use those or syringes whatever it is so cross-contamination is definitely a big problem one thing i would say is uh how to bring a plant back from the dead is i think foliar feeding is something that really can quickly get something to the plant i used to use one called heavy 16 um i think it's just called foliar and they claim that there was like dichotomous plant tissue in there but if you look at the msds it, it's like potassium and a few other things in there but um, even like earthworm casting extract, I've noticed that has some great results. Back when I used compost tea, I would use it inside and outside, even though uh, sometimes it wouldn't smell the best. It didn't smell terrible, but I mean, it's compost. So it might not be the best smelling thing if you're spraying it inside a home garden. Uh, that's something to consider. Outdoors, it's very effective. And um, I've heard people even claim like with compost teas that they knock down a lot of molds and mildews and things like that. So Matthew, I'm curious what your thoughts might be if uh, somebody was using like maybe not just compost teas, but uh, good microbial foliars, um, what what are the chances that that's going to benefit them or, or prevent maybe potential issues with pathogens like molds and mildews? With the uh, microbial foliars, 
just generally i mean like as a is, is that a possibility that's something within your wheelhouse that you've seen the the data to support or that's totally out of the realm of uh would you call that bro science or there might be something to it i just want to make sure i understand that that certain microbial applications will affect other microbials essentially yeah so it's not a i'm yeah. asking from the gardener's perspective it, I, I could say it would not be a waste of time if somebody were to go through the process of deliberately applying foliar applications of in in this case we'll even say specific microbials and i think that i know the answer to this because we talked about Bavaria yeah. bassiana in the past yeah, yeah things can things right. can affect each other for sure i would say so um absolutely i think that um I'm very, uh, I'm very partial to the idea of like producing kind of like a, you know, I, I've had different names for this kind of a thing that I've invented myself, but I'm sure are related to other things people have said way before I was born, kind of like a bio barrier, sort of a concept where you can, you can, because um, the surface of the plant is actually kind of hostile to a lot of organisms in an agnostic way, uh, by which I mean that like the plant doesn't necessarily know um, what's going to be on its surface, you know, like if a, if a, if like a quote unquote beneficial organism gets trapped in a trichome, you know, that's unfortunate, but like, it also could have killed something that was going to be nefarious. Right. So there's a lot of these sort of, uh, defenses. Um, and so like, yeah, if you apply something to the foliage, uh, some organisms, some microbes are going to be able to reside there longer than others. And I think this is a case where like, there's a lot of dynamics that are really hard to track come into play, especially from like a home growth situation, right? Or just any kind of field situation. Um, you'd have to somehow like test after the application to know, you know, what the case is. But like ostensibly, yeah, some organisms can like reside on the on the foliage, especially if they're shaded, if they don't have a lot of uh, direct especially like UV radiation from like sunlight uh, occurs to me as being a pretty limiting factor. But there are various organisms all the time. Like you could go take samples and there are ecologists do this all the time. Uh, they just take foliage and they, um, they're able to distinguish the microbes that are on the leaves versus those that are in the leaves um, and that kind of a thing. And also the same for the soil for that matter as well. Um, and I think it's really important to like not assume that uh, everything's going to work together uh, perfectly. Some things just might not synergize at all, but they still have benefits. Other things might synergize and be way more than the sum of their parts. And other things might antagonize each other. And I think that that's like probably the number one thing that I think people like biodiversity is good, but like obviously with the caveat that like some things can switch from being a beneficial to a parasite right? And other things um, might be a problem and you don't know that it's there in the first place. So that's what I have to say about that. Like a good example though, Jack, that I know here in Michigan that they do is uh, some of the orchards, uh, like the apples, things like that. They'll have uh, compost. They'll um, actually, what's his name? Dr. Wiggler, I think his name is here in Michigan. He uh, raises worms. And he oh yeah, actually... I've, I've bought his stuff. Okay. And he'll actually bring take worm castings on site to the orchard and then brew the tea there and then apply it as a spray like fresh right then onto the orchards and then they don't they get the whole foliar application he said they don't have to spray anything else for the rest of the year so they don't have to do i assume they were spraying pesticides but i don't know what they were spraying on their trees but when i had that conversation i thought that was cool 
I've heard similar experiences with uh, like vegetable growers here in Southern California using compost teas and even like uh, flowers, like roses and things like that, uh, applying them and having good results and not needing to use as many or any pesticides, which um, depending on what they're battling is pretty impressive. And um, that's why I wanted to kind of get an idea of, is this hokey pokey, like anecdotal claims, and maybe they're just in a great environment. So they're not dealing with the stuff or are there actually uh, substantiations behind these things that I was trying to figure out what the, um, I use Terramesco uh, feed the soil uh, worm castings and they do testing every two months or whatever. And they have the exact same two main microbes. And I wanted to list off what those microbes were, but the photo that I'm looking at right now is a little bit blurry. So I might have to walk over into the other room and actually grab my worm castings. All right, I'll fill in for you a second because I want to mention Brandon Rust uses his micro plus to uh, until I think he said the second week of flower to, you know, keep his plants from getting uh, mold or uh, powdery mildew, I believe. And while, I'm, while I got the mic, I want to shout out chat who we never killed. Kenny mentioned labs as a spray seems to perk up his plants that aren't happy and smart poker uh, mentioned reduce the light intensity, which I have found, especially when um, switching from like one area to another with the high powered LEDs. Now they could really uh, do a, a number on, on a plant that's used to low light. So that's probably not a bad idea either. Another good one that has been brought up a couple of times in chat now was to up pot your plant too, especially in organic situations. Usually, yeah, I mean, a lot of times I meant to say pot. that I'm transplanting right now. I meant to say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, man. I saw that earlier and I wanted to bring that up and I totally forgot too, because if you're in like a solo cup, for example, or even if you're in a one gallon pot, like a hard plastic pot, if, if a plant's root bound and it's running out of nutrients, you're in organics, giving it a little bit more uh, new shoes or more root space. Whatever you want to say, look at Noah the Grow over here in the middle of, like you said, he's actually doing it. But uh, yeah, that, that'll definitely help a plant that's struggling if it. That's probably the is best for those reasons. Advice. Yeah, if it is in a a bigger plant in a smaller. On the opposite end, be careful to not transplant too early because if you have a tiny little plant or into too large of a pot, like if you're going from a solo cup, I wouldn't go into anything. Typically, I only go into like a one gallon or a two gallon personally, but uh, I wouldn't go into anything bigger than a five. I see some people go from like a solo cup to like a 10 gallon pot. I'm just like, I don't think that's going to colonize that whole pot as well as if you would step it up. So like you go from like one to three to five or something like that, uh, or one, five, seven type thing. Um, working your way up in pots, the plant can fill out the pot that it's in and then go into the next pot with a larger root ball that it would have otherwise. And like, you don't just start a seed in a massive pot for a reason. So I think transplanting actually, like Dr. MJ has mentioned in the past, if you do it properly, it will increase the speed of your plant growth and overall, and I, I believe increase yields and things like that as well. The, uh, the, the light intensity one, that's a good one too. And I didn't even think about it until it was mentioned, but I just switched my bulbs out like a month ago. And right afterwards, I kind of was like, wow, I wonder why it's, I noticed it too. So that's a good one for sure. Yeah, too much. Like if you, I think Spartan said, just like dial the lights back a little bit, raise the light up if you can't dim it down. Um, if you're cranking them super high and you know that, and they're starting to like, I don't know, just kind of get like a light green fade or starting to yellow, or you're seeing that curling up towards the light or like curling down away from the light and everything else seems to be dialed in, like the watering is all good and all that stuff. Um, one big piece of advice I have for organic growers, I literally just gave this in the DMs a few days ago, uh, maybe yesterday, was to err on the side of maybe 
underwatering on the fact that like not how much you're watering at a time, but how often you're watering. You don't need to water every single day in organic soil. You probably don't need to water every other day. Every three days might be fine for some of your plants, but it might not be fine for all of your plants. So if you have one that's big and vigorous and growing really rapidly, it might need water every three days. But if you have a runt in the same room and it's half the size of that big one, don't just think, oh, it's time to water this one. So I'm going to water all of them. It's convenient and uh, might make you feel better. Like, all right, I got all my watering done, but the plants aren't going to be happy. I personally am a believer. They all take things at a little bit different rate. You can kind of get it close to dial in or if like your room is really cranking and you're running all the same strain maybe they'll all want it at the same time but especially for popping seeds or like running autos like this individual was you see different plants they're taking water at different rates and if you're just trying to force your way onto the plant they're not going to be as happy as when you kind of listen to them and one of the first easy signs that you're overwatering do you have fungus gnats because a lot of people do and oftentimes it's just simply overwatering can make the environment uh beneficial for a fungus net to thrive and just having a proper mulch layer can help prevent that but also just giving an extra day <laughs> reach your finger down in that soil it might feel dry on that very top little crust but if you get your finger down and knuckle in and there's still a good amount of water i don't think that you need water so uh, lift the pot too you'll kind of get the idea of like this feels a little bit light and even the last bit of advice i'll give on that is if you see your leaves are like this or like kind of like this how you see in my logo behind me I think you're fine, but as soon as they start getting to that uh, 45 degree negative or even lower, like Tao talked about where it looks like a plant's like literally like folded in on itself about to die, then it needs some water. <laughs> so go ahead and give it some water at that point. But uh, most of you guys out there, and I know this because all the DMs I get are overwatering in organic soil. If you're in cocoa, completely disregard that because you can water pretty much every single day, twice a day, three times a day, five times a day, and you're gonna be so fine. It's usually the opposite. People are underwatering in cocoa usually. Yeah. So in cocoa, the opposite advice would be uh, make sure that you're checking your EC on your runoff. I would say at least once a day uh, to get an idea of where you're at. But if you can check it every single time, if you're giving feed in, you want to know what's coming out. Because if you put in a 1500 and then 2200 comes out, it's like, whoa, that's way higher than I was expecting. But yeah, if you put in 1500 and 1600 comes out, then you're okay. That's another thing. Something should be coming out. That's another thing. It's some, a lot of people are missing. They're not watering to runoff when they're in cocoa. That's a good point. And like, we're not talking runoff, like the first drop of water that you see. If you water a gallon, you want maybe five to 10% runoff, depending on your environment and how large your pots are and things like that, how much you can afford to have waste. But I'd say at least 5%. So if it's 500 milliliters, then at least 50 milliliters of runoff. That's 10%. But uh, 25, <laughs> but something, you know, like have an idea roughly of what to expect because um, in soils, on the other hand, like going back to soil, sometimes when you water, especially with peat, because it has a tendency to get hydrophobic, you'll water it and the water will go straight through the whole pot and then it'll start shooting out the sides. And like, you're like, oh, okay, I must be done. You really want to kind of slowly, evenly pour the water throughout the medium and give it the best chance and even maybe use a wetting agent uh, like a yucca to allow the water to be wetter and more thoroughly saturate the medium. There's a question in chat that somebody asked me and I don't have an answer. Maybe you guys can help me because I'm not a rosin presser, but they want to know what's a good return if you're pre flour pressing 10 grams. So 10 grams of flour, what would be a good return? Two grams to three grams. Two to three grams, okay. 
three grams is insane. Two grams is good. Anything below two is uh, you're probably not going to want to run that cultivar again. At most cultivars are going to be able to hit at least 20% return. Uh, really, really good ones will hit 30%. It also depends on how dry you're getting your flower. Like if you get it uber dry, it's probably not going to return as well. Um, Bubble Man has suggested using the, and I, I don't love these for long-term storage of flower, but if you know you're pressing it, using the Bovita, Integra, or whatever humidity pack to get your bud up to 62%. He's done side-by-side -side tests with the same flower, and the one that was at 62% returned better. I think there's something about like maybe sublimation or steam that's happening when you're squeezing the bud, that moisture is actually pushing out. So let's say there's 10% moisture in one bud and five in the other. You've got you know 5% more water and that 5% extra steam or whatever it is helps. Pressure at least. Yeah, it's, it's causing pressure and it's getting squeezed out and then that'll evaporate with the heat and uh, pressure. But what you're left with is more good quality rosin from all the experts out there that do it. I don't have a press myself. I've had the pleasure of pressing a couple of times. It's, uh, it's really fun and awesome, but I also hear people... Numbers are a big thing in cannabis, right? People love to talk about their yields and how much they're yielding with a light or how much rosin they get off. The other thing, like it's a much lower number you'll hear is like bubble hash returns. Like what do you get from your fresh frozen return? Some people it's like one to 5%. So like they wash a thousand grams and they get 10 back or something like that. And uh, it's just kind of scary to think that you could put a thousand grams in and get 10 back. That's why they're charging over a hundred bucks a gram some places, right? But anybody else have thoughts on the... Uh, Rosin pressing question. I guess that's not I. It's not my forte. The chat is commenting. Well, it's very, it's very stream dependent. You know, yeah. you brought that up, but it's very stream dependent. And then it's you know what I mean. Like, how good is the is the run? I mean, everybody's you know what I mean. If you've grown a plant ten times, like, every single run's not going to be exactly the same. I don't care what anybody says. It doesn't matter if you keep doing the same thing. Still farming, uh, things happen. So really good run, you know, really good strain. You know, you definitely 30%. That's good. You know, 20% is good. You know, just depends on what you got. And you, you learn from what you, you know, when you've done it more times. So yeah, but 20% so, would say was average then. You guys agree on that? I'd say that's about average. That's what I'm hearing. A lot of people are like, I wouldn't be impressed if somebody's like, I got this 20% or, but I wouldn't be pissed. Well, either. I didn't know if it made a difference that it was flour over if you would press, say, for example, like hashes was usually pressed. So that you're going to get a lot higher return because oh, it's 90% of the way there, right? You're, you're pressing yeah. it through like a 120 bag or 20. It depends. Everybody's got different techniques or whatever, but it's, you're just getting the final little impurities out. I actually don't even know what people expect, maybe like 80 or 90% returns back on something like that. Cause like I said, it's hash is already smokable. I don't turn hash into rosin. I actually prefer the hash because you can use it on a bowl topper. You can roll it up between your fingers and put it into a joint rosin. Eagle, yeah. Eagle was saying that last night. It's like, once you get that bubble hash, like really, do you really have to even do more? But you know, some people, the snobs, and like, I'm once, people they, once gonna, they do that, people are going to dry sift and then press the dry sift. I've done that. That's right, the one right. One of the things I've pressed is, is it, and I clean the dry sift. We did the what's static the lowest, tech. What's oh, the man. lowest temp you could press the uh, dry sift? Because it's going to kill the terps during that, doesn't it? Well, it kind of water kills terps too, man. I mean, that's not stopping anybody. Yeah, but he's saying, why right, wouldn't you right, just right. keep the sift sift instead of pressing yeah. it? When you press it, you're going to lose some of the heat. Um, it's for the, the 0.1% impurity. Like if you're not going to, yeah. what I realized when we static yeah. teched it, there was very little difference. It just changed the consistency. So you got like a goo versus like a grainy sand, right? But 
um, when you press it, too, some people press onto like cold plates to try and preserve as much as possible. So like, they'll have yeah, like yeah. a marble or something like a very cold, like they'll put something in the freezer. So when yeah. it comes out of those hot plates onto that paper, it hits something really cold and it starts to solidify and, and preserve as much of the terpene as possible. So yeah. there's some really cool techniques going on with pressing. I even sent one to the group where there was like a triple stack. This dude had like three rosin presses on top of each yeah. other. And then it turns to the side with like a, it's on a fixed jack. So they just load it put three in it crunches all three of them and then like turns it to the side and it just dumps it i love that amazing i mean the productivity that's a way to help bring the cost down hopefully right if they can press more faster and it's like when somebody told me about the bottle tech where they have a circle press and then this the press is circle instead of the the big rectangles and then they have uh like the bags that look like uh you'd fill quarters in it or something so they're they're circular too so you, you load it up and then you press it down on the press and it just goes off every way, every which way. And it's not on the heat for any length of time, really. I like that's really cool. I like that, too. It's smart. And I think um, it allows more pressure the way that they load it up on that bag when it presses down. Like it just I think people get good returns with that versus like I think when I first saw it, people were doing like a pre-press and like a rectangular yeah. uh, like steel thing. And they press down on it and they get this kind of like little puck. And they take that puck and they slide it into the little sheet and they press that um, thing. But now, like you're saying, they're kind of loading it into like a quarter kind of bag. And then that bag gets like squished down into it's like a jiffy pellet almost like it gets crunched up. Exactly. And it looks just like that. You're right. It ends up going off all the sides. And for anybody out there who's wondering, can I use my flower rosin after I've pressed it? The answer is yes. Spartan Grown has used it to make RSO with. I know people that just eat them. It's kind of like a flaky little chip at the end. And it's kind of has like a decarbed, like burnt popcorn taste a little bit to it. Some people actually enjoy it. They like eat the hell out of those things. But I, I think I would go a Spartan's approach based on, I think you said you got some actually pretty crazy returns off oh, of washing dumped. some. It just dumped like crazy. It was ridiculous to returns off of that. And it was really, um, I imagine it was because of maybe CBN or something, but it was really narcotic, narcotic, more so than normal. It was like super sleepy stuff. So, which is great medicine. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I actually just for the first time ordered from Happy Buds hemp to get some pure CBN to mix in. But I try to make my RSO high CBN. And I know the man who just entered the uh, call, Aaron the Grower, gave me and Lady Greenstock some CBN uh, when we visit him for our honeymoon a couple of years ago. He is just getting in now. So Aaron, I don't know if you can hear us. We're talking a little bit about RSO and CBN using the uh, pressed pucks from making rosin to turn that into RSO. But just want to say cheers and welcome to you. Let the people know where they can find you. Word. Yeah, I love that technique. You know, using every little bit of uh, what you have. That's the way to go, man. Start finish. That's the definition of sustainability right there. Um, I'm Aaron the Grower, atgacres.com and atgacres on Instagram. And I'm just happy to be here to finish up some dinner and smoking a bowl. And uh, happy to see you guys. We're happy to yeah, have happy you. Back. To see I think um, we might actually want to not see you because I think the you were turning a little roboto there. And I think your connection might do better if you just go audio. Because I, yeah, I saw, I, oh, I'm seeing you again move now, but it was frozen there for most of what you were talking. And uh, thankfully, uh, it came hey. through clear despite like, <laughs> Kind of being a little bit chopped up. All right, how, how is it now? <clears throat> Sorry about that. Much better. Don't Much better. It. Clear, okay. very, very serviceable for the show. That, that being said, I've got to train 
blowing by in the background. So nothing's perfect, right? Good to hear you, ATG. <laughs> yeah, Tal, thanks for showing up, man. That was I had a good time with Eagle last night. It was a great show. Yeah. And uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about um, Tao started off the show. We were talking about hash. Would you rather have a plant that yields an ounce that both plants yield an ounce of resin, but one of them has big heads and one of them has smaller heads. So I'm curious kind of like what your thought would be on that. Cause we all kind of uh, shared some thoughts and then maybe after that, we'll talk a little bit about how to bring a plant back from the dead. Cause uh, the ratio is the same of the compounds. Yeah. Okay. So Tao's uh, hypothetical was basically you're getting the same thing, but it's split up different in a physical. So you but get the same you... cannabinoids, but it's uh, one yeah. ounce of, of like tiny heads versus in a bunch of tiny heads versus an ounce of larger fat heads. Are you talking about in a, in a concentrate or in flour that you have an ounce of? Well, we'll, we'll say concentrate. Like let's say you took an ounce of both plants you took a pound of both plants and you yielded an ounce of dry sift. Gotcha. Dry sift, definitely probably gonna have to say big heads to make, you know, you know, bigger chance of catching everything that way. Um, and then, you know, because once you, once you're pressing it into rosin or once you're altering its physical state in any way, um, you know, then the size of the heads don't matter. That's a really good point because uh, we didn't even mention that earlier, but right. But uh, I think we were definitely kind of talking about just like the ins and outs of like, does a bigger head have less lipids and waxes? Like if you were going to go and smoke the dry sift right away versus pressing it, um, that might make a difference. And I was thinking also like the larger heads might fall off easier for working it. And we, we all kind of spitballed a bunch of, I think, good ideas mm -hmm. on that topic. So if you want to re-listen to that, you can, but the uh, other question that That's I thought cool. was- Bummer, I missed that. Yeah, I love that. Oh, it's all good, man. We're happy to have you here whenever you can make it. I know you're working your ass off over there. The setup that you put in was a ton of work. I'm glad that you're able to even uh, now that you've got things set up, spend a, an hour or two with us on these weeks and uh, you're doing killer over there, man. I, I'm loving what I'm seeing. The, the lights look great. The plants look great. It's clean. Love seeing uh, the daughter run around, you and the wife working and it looks like you're happy and having fun and, and uh, thriving over there. Thanks, brother. Yeah, we are. That's for sure. And I apologize if there's still a lag. I can tell that sometimes there's probably some robotic shit going on. So I'll probably just, I'll mute myself just in case. And, and you know, I'll just holler at me if you have a question. You're all good. And uh, the other follow-up question, I guess, would be, um, we all kind of went around and shared some thoughts on how to resurrect a plant or bring a plant back from the dead or just uh, how to make an unhealthy plant healthy again. So what would your thoughts be there? Oh, you get the worst position. Everybody already said everything, man. But he doesn't know, uh, it's okay. so it's going to be funny because he's going to be like, oh, I'll say exactly what so-and-so said. Well, I wish I would have been watching. Then I would have been privy and, and uh, on point. But no, I'm probably going to be just totally in left out of left field or something. But, um, you know, microbes are important. Um, you know, balancing nutrition is important. Um, those are two of the things, two two. like it's coming through a maple okay. tap and oh uh, man with uh it was so good to start i don't know if you guys oh shit am i being robotic yeah <laughs> it was right at the beginning okay. of the right. answer tell too. you later all right well, well i can definitely agree with the microbe com comment we definitely got that part the balancing nutrition uh, definitely got that part oh fuck both both, <laughs> both great bits of advice there
I'll just come here and watch you guys and smoke a bowl. How about that? (laughs) But in the chat so people can know. We appreciate your input, Aaron. Obviously, you have quite a bit more of it after your uh, excursion. So we can all benefit from that. I really wanted him to chat it up because I was going to ask him for the benefit of those who didn't see Eagle's show last night. He told the tale of he brought his dirt from California to Oklahoma with him because it was that valuable to him. And I just thought that was an awesome tale at the risk Uh, of uh, trailers and trucks and cars. It was excellent. Dude, we destroyed everything we owned to get that soil across the country. Yeah. Wow. My old man and my wife, everything that we own, just just, because it weighs so much. (laughs) That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And insulting to Oklahomans. No, I'm kidding. But- <laughs> yeah, but he's got a fucking ecosystem with a microbe system that probably nobody else around him has. He's the only one who can claim that terroir. That's for damn yep. sure. That's terroir, for sure, baby. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> soil from California, uh, you know, uh, uh, but an Oklahoman sun and wind, right? So it's a nice fusion. Yeah. Well, he's got well, an it's indoor a, crop going. It's so all it's inside right now. Oh, right, yeah. right. But it, yeah, so t- kind t- kind of like terroir, and it, it, you know, it's got a got a taste of terroir, but it's mostly a laboratory. Where, where, where's your original terroir, if you don't mind, Aaron? Uh, like, where am I from? Yeah, I'm from Florida originally. Hey, right? I moved to Florida. Love it's a combination <laughs> of across America. You gotta love it. Yeah, dude, I've been all over the place. I've been everywhere. <laughs> no, but most recently, California, right? Yep, California for 10 years um, and Florida before that. Yeah. yeah. Well, to say like the Emerald Triangle generally, or do you uh, feel comfortable? They still have the property up there, so I don't want you to like uh, necessarily yeah. know exactly where. <laughs> yeah, we still we still have the property in the family, so it's, uh, it's, it's El Dorado County. I can say that. <clears throat> cool. Yeah, that's, it's way up there. I can tell you that coming from San Diego, it's not a short drive, but uh, it was mm-hmm. worthwhile. For sure. I know Kyle even made it out there, but we lost him earlier in the show. I don't know what happened. Maybe he had to jump out at the hour mark. But uh, yeah, he was able to visit Aaron before he went to Oklahoma as well. So that was uh, cool to see. I, I feel like I've seen a lot of y'all from the show in person. And it's I'm very lucky that I've been able to kind of travel and y'all have been able to travel to me. It's really cool. I can't wait to do some more of it. And I guess I'll tease again, uh, planning in October, hopefully uh, it might be more like a, at an Airbnb than at a hotel because when I looked at the cost, I just wouldn't want to make the ticket cost astronomical. And if we're going to rent out a hotel or even like a whatever it's called, event room type thing, it gets expensive real quick. So I'm thinking probably rent a private Airbnb for the Cheap Home Grow meetup in Vegas in October for anybody who is interested in that. And I probably got to nail that down sooner than later because I know travel is not cheap. <laughs> I just canceled my 4th of July plans because the uh, flights right now are ridiculous. So uh, oh, wow. it's very expensive to fly and hopefully it's better by October, but I'm not super optimistic that that's going to be the case. And I want to be realistic that this is the cheap home grow and <laughs> I'm not going to be asking people to spend thousands of dollars to come to a one or two day event unless uh that's something that they feel extremely obligated to do. I'm going to be able to drive because I'm in San Diego and it's not a far trip to Vegas. So, uh, but that being said, I know a lot of you guys are on the East coast or Michigan and all around 
So I want to, like I said, try and give as much notice as possible. But uh, I think the first one will be a relatively small event. Uh, but once I nail some more things down, I'll start posting it up and get some interests, RSVPs and things like that. And uh, give you guys an idea of what maybe like ticket costs would be like and where it's going to be exactly and all that good stuff. So something I, I want to make happen this year. Um, it seems like we're finally at a place where uh, traveling is easy enough for most people. And um, other than the expense, <laughs> the actual uh, pandemic kind of winding down, it seems like even here in California, um, a lot of the stuff's kind of wound down. So I think it'd be great to have a public event. I think um, it's, it's something that our community needs. We have such a great set of people online. We've all talked to each other for years now, and it's cool when we can actually meet up in person. And uh, I, I look forward to that day for sure. And I'm going to do everything within my power to make sure that event is uh, done and done well. I mean, I can empathize with that for sure. I, um, I had to cancel Fishmas uh, this year, opening trout up in the, up in the North. And, uh, part of that was just because of like gas prices being expensive. And also I wanted to work a little bit on my car before I went up there, to be honest. So yeah, definitely things are, I think getting a little bit better logistically though. I'll do it next year. It is a bummer when we have to push these things off, but, um, I say there's always next year, but I, I also try to think like, if you have something you really want to do in life, do it right now, because, Dude, hold know. on a second. You're basically you're, this is the first time I'm hearing about this gathering. And I feel like there is way too little hype around this right now. Like it's, I'm fucking fired up. How are y'all not fired? We're going to Vegas in October. Fuck. Yeah, dude. Is that like is that happening? Let's for go. That's happening Let's for real. I'll be there if no one else is. Fuck me. And Lady Greenstock will be blowing down at an Airbnb in Vegas, having a good old time. So uh, we're going to put the, the dates and, and times and locations out there as soon as possible. Um, like I said, I just wanted to look into it more when I looked into it, there are cannabis friendly hotels. So in the future, if we have like a hundred people that want to show up or 200 people that want to show up, we could rent out a whole fucking hotel and throw the hell down and have a good time. I'm thinking realistically, if we get 15 to 30 people there, I'd be really happy. Um, that's like now, you know, now accepting sponsors. There we go. <laughs> I mean, I, if it was a uh, something legitimate, I, I would be open to something like something in the community like i don't know if it would be like a bio 365 soil or something like no other grower uses them and i know a lot of people that use them and they're legit or, or some product that we could actually stand behind i'd be open to something like that um even like a non-cannabis sponsor some sort of a venue or event plan type thing that if they want our business we'd be happy to provide it to them as long as they are actually cannabis friendly you know that's the beauty of an airbnb and a private event if you have a private house you kind of you don't need permits you don't need uh, event all that shit like you should get them and i will look into uh doing it the legitimate way but i think that you're especially in las vegas gonna be kind of uh given a little bit of leeway there are parties there all the time i'll say that so as a cannabis party it's not like we're gonna be like the loudest or the rowdiest in that city so i really look forward to it and uh like i said aaron i'm glad that you're hyped for it and i want to just keep kind of reminding people that this is in the plans because we do have to get travel accommodations and i know people at work you have to take time off for work and things like that so it would be a great time even if it was just like the the panel like if i could get all eight or nine people to get out there that would be uh pretty awesome and i'm hearing maybe potentially rumblings of uh a sponsor that might be very directly linked within our community they've helped out other people in this community in different ways 
And I think that um, they actually offered to sponsor me personally already. So <laughs> I said no, because I don't have the space for their particular product, but I know somebody on this panel who's using their product and has seemingly to have good results. So I won't say that one just yet, uh, but I will keep that in mind. So thank you to Spartan Grown who just uh, gave me a good idea. And I think uh, we've got about 45 minutes left. So I'm curious if you guys have any topics or anything that you wanna get to. I'm just happy to be back. It's always great to chill with you guys, hang out and uh, do my hosting duties. But I talked about the few things that I wanted to talk about so far this week. So maybe we could do some chat Q and A or maybe you guys could bring up uh, some additional thoughts or topics that you'd like to get to. I had that lighting uh, advertisement. If you wanted to go over that, that was interesting. But I want to do that. I might save that for when uh, Dr. Coco is is on. Yeah, the panel. We have to have Dr. Coco here for that. Because yeah, for sure. This is yeah. He is our lighting is. resident lighting expert for sure. And uh, I, I appreciate that we will wait until uh, he's here to discuss those matters. I think drop, so. drop a little drop a little teaser for people. I can't wait for. I can't wait. For that. <laughs> That's a good idea, Aaron. Yeah, let me go find it. I'll uh, I'll share the screen. It's kind of, it's, long story short, it's just the light wars your plants for you. Yeah, it's well, it's a lighting. Exactly. Yeah, it's a lighting <laughs> company that's yeah claiming a lot of amazing good claims. This oh yeah, that was a fun one. I, I saw that in our little group grounding. chat. <laughs> or I think it was. I think this one was the one with the grounding thing. Or, yeah, no, it was that one. Yeah. It was yeah. so and the. Vibrations, the Schumann uh, frequency, yeah, frequencies. Man. Yeah, it was the frequency. about that. It's vital. Crystals. Yeah, I know you've been trying that, Ty. Have you noticed any difference? Uh, you know, no. Let's do a quick no with the. Well, I had the music in there for a while, but then my uh, one device died, so the speaker died, so it wasn't as easy to just turn it on and leave it going, but. So did you see that study about the the music? The the one I read, it was like the music was so fucking loud that I'm I'm still convinced it's the vibrations. Right, the vibrations that, and um, I've seen a couple. Like uh, we were talking about it on the other, uh, I think it was this show, a different episode, but the, um, the, it's actually a vibrating uh, trellis net kind of thing that the uh, Pilgar Farms is using it. And you could pump into whatever music you want into it, and it just vibrates. But it, it's a trellis or a, uh, you know, a scrog if you want it, you use it as that. I showed it. Oh, that's interesting. It's the net specifically, huh? Yeah, it's actually metal, but it vibrates, and you use it as like a trellis net or a scrog net. Yep. That's interesting. The one I saw wasn't metal. It was a regular scrog, but it's attached to like a device that kind of rocks it, and you can rock it at like oh, okay. different speeds. And this dude always seems to have water on his plants, even like in flower, but doesn't seem to have lots of mold um, from the photos that I'm seeing. But like, I'm always kind of surprised when I see it because um, you see a plant in flower indoors, especially like if it's outdoor and it rains, that's one thing. But if it's indoor and you're fuller, foliar feeding past like week four of flower or just spraying water on them, I was like, what the heck is going on here? Um, I'm going to try and find that yeah, vibration. <laughs> Uh, scrog. Well, nature does that to me all the damn time when I try to grow outdoors. And they fucking, yeah. Oh, you're in week six of flower. That's okay. Rainstorm <laughs> for four days straight. Yeah. Or hail. Even worse, got through the hail. Uh, we haven't seen that. They always say that around here on the radio. Chance of hail. It never hailed. It hailed in in my lifetime on Long Island like three times that I turned like like real hail. There's been freezing rain, which is like nothing, you know. 
but real hell, like maybe twice or three times. But they say it all the time on the radio. Like yeah, chance we, of- get a, we get a f- decent enough, but Thank it's usually God. small. It's usually yeah. small, but it's because I think it's just that we're by off the lakes, right? So the big Great Lakes, and they have a lot of chance to pick up wind and crazy shit happens. Those lakes make their own damn weather, man. Not that big. Lake Superior, especially. Yeah, Lake Effect is no joke. That's Lake sure. Effect snow is a motherfucker. That's why I left <laughs> Ohio. I lived right under Lake Erie. We were in that belt where we got the only benefit was as a kid, you'd get snow days. <laughs> and other than that, fuck all that snow. You can get hit with it's like if people have seen Buffalo where they get like it's several feet in a single night. Yeah. You go out and your car is literally covered. You can't see it. There's snow a foot and a half on top of it, like the roof on the hood behind your tires in front of your door there are people that open up their door and the whole entire fucking wall is just white they have to dig themselves out of their home they're literally snowed in not Tunnel. a fun situation Tunnel yeah. themselves out yeah yeah up here they you can actually go in the hardware store and get shovels for your to shovel off your roof safely without dying because you don't want the snow to pack on your roof for too long oh yeah so here's the Ganja Grid Twitter account. Uh, I follow them. It's uh, Vibration Controlled Agriculture. And here's that image that I was kind of describing earlier. Can y'all hear this music? Hopefully not. No, I don't hear it. I can't hear okay, it. Probably good. because your music is routing to your headphones and not your speakers. No, that's good. It, it's copyrighted. So I didn't want it to be. Playing. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> God, that makes me nervous. It makes I me nervous too. Stay, dude. I'm is the water like an integral part of it or no 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 it's not it's just kind of sh- i think it's just demonstrating the vibration I see, I see. Uh, <laughs> yeah that is like anxiety inducing shit right there we're all cringing a little i can feel it collectively so i'm gonna look away now it's even worse <laughs> that it's worse that it's shaking to me because now you're shaking into the bud stop so so huh, i see but is the vibration controlling the agriculture that's my question well maybe are they claiming some kind of fungal defense like the it can't somehow take hold when it's shaken i don't think they're making any of those claims to be honest i just think this oh, okay. is how they like to grow um their whole claims are that the vibration is just beneficial and it's like uh using whatever justification you can call it like wind how yeah, wind can provide can positive that. stress or mechano stimulation um, i think yeah mechano stimulation right? is the yeah. exact term that they typically uh Figma use, priming. also twerk tuesday like this one there's not a bunch of water all over it <laughs> i love so it can... twerk tuesday nice but i mean it's frosty ass buds i mean he's not doing a bad job and uh, uh, yeah it's like not to say that the, the shaking is what makes the buds frosty or anything but I don't think that it's like the worst idea in the whole world, but I also don't know if it's worth one of these things we examined a while back was talking about uh, Spartan just mentioned it, the speakers vibrations playing and the speaker was so damn loud that he thought the vibration is actually what was causing the benefit, not the music itself. And when I looked into that study, the speaker was using like, I want to say at a minimum 150 watts, but it might have been 1,000 watts or something. Oh crazy. my gosh, I didn't think so about were, that. They were cranking a shit ton of electricity to play this music. And I'm like, if you're going to play a speaker, you might as well just run an extra light or something, you know? Like and it was like a greenhouse <laughs> setting and they're just cranking speakers like outside. But 
it, it would have to be very low electrical use for me to even consider it because like I already have fans shaking my plants. I shake my plants once a day. I go in there and give them a little shake, but uh, it's interesting for sure. This was like I was saying, it wasn't um, the one that Tao was referring to. So there are other versions of this out there that are metal and there might even be ones that we're not aware of as well, but it's a interesting concept and I'm glad we gave it a little more thought and light tonight just to examine it's it. Like, yeah, yeah, it's it's heard of it. That's kind of cool. Kinda I do cool, think it's, yeah, it depends on the power. I'm really interested. I mean, that's actually a, a really significant point. Um, the thing that the thing about mechanical stimulation or thigma priming, I actually find it very intriguing and I think it's sort of overlooked um, in a way, but at the same time, I think that it's really important to note that like, like you're at the end of the day, the uh, effects that these sort of like the mechanical stimulation, whether it's sonically through sound vibrations or mechanically through physical vibrations or, or whatever, um, you're triggering an immune response in a lot of research. It shows that, but like, it's not like it's magically different than any other thing that triggers immune response. It's different in that it might cause different things to cascade, but they're through the same processes. And I guess what I'm trying to say at the end of the day is that like, um, you know, the amount of caffeine you get in like a frappe or a cappuccino, you know, you know, if there's all the same caffeine, if it's the same coffee and you just make it a little bit different, um, you know, in, uh, in how it appears, you're still getting the same thing. If you use a different thing that costs less money or is less involved to do, um, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. You can immune prime certain aspects of the plant's biology differently. And perhaps even if you're not careful, and this is when this is actually the aspect that I'm very curious about, is there a way that you can go too far or certainly we know that we can prime our plants in a way that'll make them not as effective in other contexts and I'd be very interested to see if you could kind of like overstimulate, because certainly that's how a lot of pathogens, um, you know, kill cells. They well, like, they, they exploit a strength that's actually a weakness in a different context, their context. And uh, I think an obvious one to be the first examined, because it's what the people care about that are cultivating cannabis for the most part, would be yield, do a side by side. Mm a four by four, same light, same cut, same veg time, uh, same medium, control as much as you can. And then you do one with a ganja grid and one without it, because I'm kind of thinking I shake my plants once a day and they, I feel that it does give them a little bit of a umph. but I'm wondering if I shook them all day, every day, if that might, it, it is creating an immune response, but it's creating it all the time. And then is that taking energy away from building it's constantly thinking, oh, shit, I have to defend myself. I have to get used to this level of shake. Or is it like a human? Like, is there a white noise level of, of wind or level of mechanical stimulation where, okay, I've made my immune response to this frequency. I've gotten shook and hard enough. I'm going to put out more cytokinins or whatever hormone, gibberellins, uh, something like that. And it does seem to be a desensitization that happens in some research. You're, you're absolutely on the right track there. Uh, it's not my area of expertise, but I do find it really fascinating. So I can say that much. I think in that yeah. instance, it would be closer to like the plant adjusts to it just like it would wind and it got like more rigid, rigid right there. But once it may, once it's rigid, it doesn't have to like continue to stay rigid. It just adapted to that. 
once you're ready, you don't got to get ready because you already ready. You stay ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's kind exactly. of one of those things. No, I think you're actually right. And I was kind of joking when I said that with the intense voice, but I've, I've heard like football coaches yell that at me. Like, I don't got to get ready because I stay ready. <laughs> just like always in my head. But uh, the plant, like with a super crop, for example, once you make that knuckle, it's it's going to take a little time to recover, but then it's stronger and uh, it may be able to hold more weight in theory. So mm-hmm. I think it does take an initial hit, but then it might be able to bounce back stronger. And I'd really love to dial that in what amount of stimulation is the right amount and is shaking one day once a day enough is it too much so mm-hmm. it's something i might start playing around with a little bit moving forward do one every other day versus uh one every day and then like maybe once a week or something and if i'm noticing like the once a week plan is like a lot weaker i'll be like oh maybe i should start shaking it again type thing but or if the one if- that's getting shaken a lot is is performing worse uh conversely then maybe shake it a little less It'd just be interesting to see like them get real scientific with it and like measure like do one with one without and like measure the girth the branches maybe the extra height maybe it'll have like it'll be a shorter plant with big sturdier stems because oh i like that or leaf size leaf shape number of petioles on the leaf breeder steve said he does his million seed search and all of his people um are trained agronomically to scientifically categorize the plant they take a ruler they say the stem grew two centimeters today it has the narrow leaves and has five blades on the leaves today and then like a week later it has seven blades on the leaves and they go through and document that for each and every individual plant throughout its growth cycle and even taking note of if it is different from when it was grown as a seed versus when it was grown from clone later on and um I love that kind of stuff. I think the more of that we get, the better understanding we're going to have of the plant and the better breeders will be able to start identifying. Like if you look at dog breeding, they know exactly how long the snout is, how long the ear is, the ear shape, the color of the coat and all these subtle little nuances. And then you can really say like, oh, if I breed a golden retriever to a black lab, I can expect this type of coat and this type of build and this type of weight and even demeanor down to the demeanor of the dog and it's like that might seem crazy to think that we could be that predictive but i think cannabis is in a sense maybe already at that point with some strains like some stuff really dominates and comes through and it expresses itself in a way that you're just always like oh damn that's jack herrera there's jack herrera in this i can smell it or chem dog um, they just come through but more often than not i think if there's like this polyhybrid blend it ends up kind of giving you like a not a generic weed smell but a lot of stuff today kind of smells gassy or fuely with a mix of like, I don't know, cakiness and uh, fruitiness or whatever it is, hot, the flavor of the month type thing. So I look forward to seeing more uh, great breeding being done in the cannabis space where we can start to see those golden retriever type cuts out there that are just so distinct. And we know every little detail about it from its leaf shape and structure. But then again, with plants and, and cultivating, I think there is a, and animals are alive too, but plants, like Noah mentioned earlier, farming one season to the next, you might just crush it one run or just have really bad weather one run or power went out or there was wildfires. Like there's so many For little sure. factors that really change a plant's life that a wildfire is not going to necessarily change a dog's life as much type thing. Uh, but there are other factors there. So not forget about dogs, but think about plants. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious if any of you guys, I know Spartan's on his bliss bud. We could get into the breeding a little bit. How has that project been going? Actually, it's doing good. I've uh, I popped. I'm in the search for a male, and I want to work into it. So I popped the Russell, 
And that is a um, Jack Herrera that you just mentioned, uh, back cross, crossed to a chem dog back cross, like a chem 91 back cross. So I've got, I've got um, a female in flower and a male, two male clones in cups right now. And my plans for those are, I want to work that male into my bliss. And then um, I'm also uh, planning on doing probably at least one more cross with it. And that's the uh, sour diesel that I have, the New York sour diesel to, to that one. And then what's the uh, current bliss right now? The original cross you started uh, with? It's, it's, it's sour D heavy. So it's sour diesel cross to sour strawberry. Actually, let me sour diesels one side, and then the other side is a cross of sour strawberry and uh, pineapple tie. And I hunted through those seeds and picked the most pineapple tie one I could find. And so it was the pineapple tie leaner of that cross to a sour D. And then the bliss that is now is like the number three, but it was it's a uh, it's, it's, it's really sour D heavy with like a little spiciness behind it. Um, so I'm trying to work some more, uh, some more different flavors in to, to get off of, uh, I want it to stand out. I don't want it to be just like sour diesel. That's a, but then I mean, I popped, uh, I, I'm calling it uh, project V cause I took uh, that when I found those uh, seeds at that old shut down grow shop that they whoever the new owner was was selling out the everything that was in there i found some vortex seeds which was my favorite cultivar I ever grew from tga and uh so i had it was a five pack so I, I popped them all and uh my plan on is just to let them they're all you know regular seeds they're tga seeds and so I just, i'm hoping to get at least one male and one female and no matter what the combination is, I'm just going to let them grow up together and fucking live and die together. And so it's just going to be a mini, I'm not going to call it a uh, open pollination, but a mini open pollination just to get, it's like to preserve, man. Cause I, I mean, I want to, um, I think that was one of my favorite strains of, of sub. So I want to have a lot of it out there. So I'm just let them smash together, let them live together in the tent. I cleaned out my tent and that's what they, they, I popped them in my tent. That'll be fun, man. I, and when, when those seeds come out, I'll definitely be uh, the first one to raise my hand and say, like, pick me. I would take, I'll volunteer as tribute to try and grow these out, see if they're anything good. Cause I know that genetic material is stuff that I really enjoyed myself as well in the past. Subcool, uh, still to this day, I think is one of the best uh, breeders in, in modern cannabis and made some of the most iconic, enjoyable strains that I've ever come across. So, uh, rest in peace to Subcool for sure. And I'm glad that you're able to preserve and, and share, hopefully, you know, get a d decent little handful of those things to spread yeah. them around. I'll give a good grip to them to you for sure. You do what you well, want. I know I have some F3 velvet punches that are going to be coming your way in the next month because I have sufficiently torture tested about <laughs> it's now three velvet punches because one of them ended up being a male. So I got to talk with Farmer Freeman because this is a second grow in a row. I thought the first one, maybe I fucked up and like, you know, I sent a hundred samples to him before every single one was accurate. So I'm not trying to slam the guy. I love, love Farmer Freeman. And I still recommend him, but my last two grows, I had a couple Amy aces and one of them ended up being a male. So I was like, okay, you know, I was admittedly fairly medicated not paying the most attention when I sent in those samples this last run, I was like, okay, I got a fucking male. Maybe I sent in it. I mislabeled something. So I was uh, just 
I think fastidious maybe is the right word. I was very uh, clear to be uh, accurate with my cutting and, and sampling. I even cleaned off the scissors between every single cut to make sure that there was no cross-contamination that somehow would get into the sample. And sure enough, one of my Velvet Punch F3s turned into a male. And um, it may be that it was a Hermie though, because I, I did microscope it and it had, um, it had a few pistols. It was like 99% male pollen sacs. But then when I actually killed it, I, I chopped it from the base of the stem right above the soil. Yeah. And I took it over to my light and I was looking at it under the microscope, like really close. And I was like, this would be the frostiest male I've ever seen. Like it almost looked like a female that I, I thought, oh, fuck, like I cut this too soon. Maybe it was actually a female and it just looked funny. Like it's an F3. I've never actually bred anything that free before. Maybe it's just a weird presentation. But like the female right next to it had thick ass pistols like shooting out all over the plant. It's very clearly I've grown a bunch of females. I know what they look like. And the one on the right was looking a lot like a male. So I was like, I chopped it. And when I looked at it, I did see a few pistols and I was like, fuck, maybe I chopped it too soon. Maybe I chopped it too soon. And I actually went back and took some gorilla tape around the stem and tried to stick it back on like a, a grafting basically. And I know from my grafting technique that I should have probably done it at an angle and like or gone like around it. it in. Yeah. Yeah. But even though I didn't do that, came back to life like it got droopy and it survived like another day or two and then i looked at it and it developed a little more and i was like oh this is for sure at least presenting male and it's got it might even be like how i've talked about in the past with feminized seeds there's certain females that look all male but it's really a female genetically because like i said i was very very careful to send in the samples and he sent me back a female result for that plant but uh, I only saw maybe three or four pistols on the entire plant and the rest of the plant looked like mini balls starting to form and like pollen sacks. But when I busted them up and dried them up, there wasn't any pollen coming out. So this is a very, I wish I would have taken more pictures it was of just it. Just a late developer, maybe. Maybe it was just kind of bust later. That could have been it. And that's what I didn't want to happen. I, it was right before my anniversary trip. So I was going to be gone for four days. And I was like, I know how males work <laughs> at this point. <laughs> yeah, like, like that. Early week two, or like week three of flower. I'm like, not a good time to take that risk and especially because this run i promised my wife like my last two velvet punch runs were seeded so she wanted to try it without seeds like rightfully so so you don't have to fucking break down seeds and so i'm like all right we're gonna run this f3 run just for flower only and then fucking a male shows up and it's like i think the jaw telling me like maybe you need to make f4s <laughs> but it's like not today chop that fucker and uh, even though it did come back to life, it did start to look a little bit like troopy after about a day. And before I left, I was like, I'm not going to leave it there and ended up pulling it. But yeah. I, I have like that uh, advertisement, by the way. Oh, okay. Let's see it. Yeah. The uh, oh, yeah, fancy yeah. lighting. Alrighty. Here it is. Oh yeah. It was lasers. The good old laser claim. I actually looked into this like a, a two years ago. So I, I have some decent information to share about what they're trying to claim and, and why it's not actually accurate laser i'm interested to hear that yeah just go for it okay so lasers are light but they're high intensity light so i thought to myself about a year ago why do they not use like laser pointers right those little battery power you stick a little battery in it and it shoots out a red laser like can't we measure that and then like wouldn't that grow plants really well well they tried to do that with like a nasa space station <laughs> techniques and everything they, they wanted to do it so i think they could attempt to grow plants more efficiently 
on the space station type thing. And what they found was it just at this point isn't super effective. I think it might be just the lighting is too intense when you concentrate it down to a laser. So it couldn't be run for the only lighting option. It could be used as like a supplemental lighting. So maybe if they're using that as part of the light, that could be a thing. But yeah, like not a whole 100% laser, but it's they're talking about Schumann resonance and that, that's nothing that was ever discussed. And uh, a lot of these other claims I'll let you get into, but uh, I'm dubious of their legitimacy. It's like their laser says 660 and 450 nanometer lasers. <laughs> so, and those are actually two lights that I've added to my light. Mm -hmm. And with, with data, there's data that shows 660 nanometer red and improves um, photosynthesis. 440, it's close enough to 450, but I've seen research that showed 440 nanometer blue increases terpene production. And it also, um, there was one other thing that it did, and I can't recall right now, but it does lead to a contraction of the cells of living plants. So like for the growth, it makes it a little bit tighter if you run a lot of it, but I'd imagine they're doing it in a fairly light ratio. Does this say anywhere on here how much power this thing even draws? I'm not seeing that. That's a good question. Let's see if we can discover that together. There was something else on there that we, we uh, kind of, <clears throat> uh, that, Earth sense human oh. grounding bullshit. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, perfectly reasonable. <laughs> intelligent uh, microprocessor paragraph. Bro. It's an intelligent microprocessor. Yeah, as the, yeah to the unintelligent microprocessor. I hate those. The flux is <laughs> a flux capacitor injected directly yeah. into the potted soil environment. I thought what? that 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 wording was particularly interesting um, to see. So yeah. So I don't claim to understand it. Um, very much myself but the the Schumann resonance is is a real thing it is a real thing but what the thing is what they're saying it does is I it's not the part that's supported that I understand at all um, but it, it is EM radiation it's a real thing um, it's a it's a it's a factor of sort of astrophysical effects that again are not really uh, in my wheelhouse um, EM for I, those who don't know is electromagnetic yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, um, so I'm not quite, I don't really understand how they're injecting it into the soil because it's like background electromagnetic radiation. Um, and presumably if you're on earth, uh, you're you probably, yeah. So that's what it's, 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 it's like the magnet or the, the moon thing. Cause like, um, yeah, the gravitational force of like the moon, on big things is different, but on small things, yeah, if you have less mass, you're going to be affected by the Earth's mass much more than you're going to be affected by anything else. And um, that always was sort of interesting to me. Or like, yeah, magnetism is also like that, right? The Earth's magnetic field and aggregate is really big. Uh, but so in This could be equivalent to saying we're harnessing the Earth's frequency because like it's, it's yeah. like pitching like something that's already on earth all of us it's like this runs it would be uh, like well in an oxygen environment yeah it'd be like this injects some 10 percent more nitrogen into your air well who cares <laughs> it's already there they have 70 percent nitrogen in there now <laughs> well they've got uva and uvb on top of the uh Ooh. additional uh outputs of light that we saw at the 660 and 450 Hey, you know, I thought about nitrous oxide. How about filling the tent with nitrous oxide? Would that help the plants out? 
might help you. Maybe yeah, go faster. Would help me. I'll be smiling. I know that. <laughs> I don't know. Nitrous makes me a great grower, man. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, yeah, if fans. I fumigate with a yeah. Um, also, I would be afraid. I mean, wouldn't that hurt your eyes? Right? Am I wrong? Like, wouldn't having UVB being uh, produced could that potentially be? degradative to your eyes i feel like the answer it is, is yes. for sure even yeah. even uh even 440 nanometer blue and even those uh blue leds equals actually shared a lot of uh research about just the harmful nature of blue led like that's why i wear my sunglasses at night you gotta protect them eyes man i do in the garden no joke i mean i thought it was just because you're really cool well that's that a too. given i don't need the shades for that. both <laughs> that's true thermal sensor automatic power level control can we go back what is that benefiting Uh, outside i guess maybe if it's so hot it can turn itself off like as an alarm like a controller like light controllers do but i guess they do it independently maybe just what you need one more thing to go wrong does anyone know the cost (laughs) or the the wattage draw on this thing i do not know let's see if um, this was this this was a part that i was very curious about there's 600 600 watts oh yeah it says right here yeah Advanced all right 1367 well, in the middle there power at and uh, dude what a terrible par man. on the right holy shit this is the worst fucking par map i've ever seen look at the edges awful distribution awful unusable. distribution and then yeah. 1600 in the middle you're gonna fry this is like a hps looks yes. better than this on a par map exactly <laughs> you guys want well, it, to it's got more? higher that's it's got higher numbers than an hps but it looks exactly like an hps layout yeah, so it's really powerful in the middle. And with the LED distribution, what you want to see, instead of a really hot center, like we're seeing even on this lower, where it says uh, 1367 uh, U-mules uh, on the left side, you see 1345 center, 1270 center, 1289, 1367, 1269, and 1257 are like the main middle square. Uh, for those who don't know, over 1,000 PPFD without CO2 is going to basically fry your plants. They're not going to be able to keep up. They're going to struggle. You're going to need to supplement CO2 up to at least double what you're running. Um, like at natural levels, about 400. So you're going to want to have at least 800 parts per million to be able to run as high as 1500 uh, PPF. And like this 1600, that's like, even if you have 800 uh, CO2, which is about as high as you really want or need, it, you're not going to, there's diminishing returns after that. Uh, so if you get like 1500 PPMs of CO2, you're going to be able to run the lights it's about the same level as you do eight or 900. Um, so and anything over 2000 is dangerous too. So I'll, I'll add that in there, but this light right off the bat, even if you have CO2 dialed in is going to make the middle of your canopy struggle. So that, that would be my first concern with it. Um, the other claims are actually sort of irrelevant at that point because this is, it makes itself so unusable because you'd have to either hang it so high and run so many of them or just like as an individual light is if you had to run one of these i think it would be one of the worst performing lights you'd probably come across i will say this as a, as a 600 watt having a number like 16 14 in the middle i've never seen anything like that and i was i was shopping for commercial leds that look a lot like this in the 600 thousand watt range <laughs> what's that because you don't want that you don't want well you, if you if that. you have a 15 foot ceiling 
you can put that all the way up on the ceiling and put them butt to butt and have them all over the place and you know have even distribution i mean that's essentially what i do with the easy eights is you know they're really powerful lights and i just they're eight feet in the air and but those have an even distribution to start. So like it's right, even right, from the top right. to the bottom. This is literally like a laser beam on your ceiling. I'm just, it's going to be know, hot even if you hang advocate. it high. This I light think. is shit. Like hanging cobs on ceiling. Yeah, no, this light is shit. I'm just, it's you know, worse I than guess hanging potentially cobs. those numbers are, are, are intriguing, I guess, is all. They're high. Here are the unique advantages um, of the laser system. Photophilus crops, which um, I hope that they're photophilus. I don't know. There's very, there's very few plants that don't like uh, light, um, thrive and have a stronger disease resistance. Uh, how, however, or whatever that is, I'm not sure. Um, it increases yield and quality. That's always good. It's always important. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see what else here. Promotes gibberellic acid and uh, hydroxylase gene. Uh, SH expression. I do not know. I don't know why you want to what that refers. You get too much gibberellic. You're just going to get a lot of stretch. It's even better. Big claim, dude. It's a light. It's a light PGR, bro. Yeah. Yeah, it's light PGR. Is like definitely not organic. I love um, that they just try to use like terms that sound scientific and make it seem like it's better, like photophilus crops. Like you just said, pretty much all crops are photophilus. So like they're just trying to seem sciency and like this is clearly just trying to over uh, qualify themselves to people that don't have a lot of information. And a lot of lighting companies kind of give you a bunch of science and maybe it's over most people's head. But this is like taking that to the next level. The one thing I saw said when I saw this initially was the only claim that they haven't made that I see a lot of other LEDs make is it's better than the sun. <laughs> like that's oh sure. made every other claim other than like this light's so good. It's even better than the sun spectrum, which yeah. some are bold enough to make that claim, but well, this is only them. page four, man, or five. So there's five more. I can see. Yeah. They try to, to muddy the waters to make it look deeper. <laughs> if but that's it. We got to let Spartan jump out real quick. And then oh, yeah. we could maybe keep on tearing through this. All right. Yes. I'm going to jump out of here. Uh, let the dogs out there ready already but uh this was a good one guys i love this show and uh, uh shout out to chat too because they were really involved and uh, i love to sit and hang with you guys every week so thanks for the opportunity to do it every week this is the show that i've done done i have done the longest this is one that kind of i broke into so it's always been special to my heart because of that so it's cool to be continuing to do it we're happy to have you and i'm glad yeah, even though I missed the last Hell two yeah. weeks. You guys kept the show running, and that's what this is all about. It's a, a whole team effort. Yep, it was good. It was good. I still missed you, though, man. <laughs> Happy to be back. Take it easy, Spartan. Good to see you, man. Have a great one, man. Yeah, I just have to say that, like, I mean, if this is why I, I bring up complicated things sometimes or I get a little bit or a lot of it into the weeds, because, like, this doesn't make sense to somebody who understands even like kind of basic plant biology um, or even like basic ecology or like trophic level stuff, like just kind of how the, how, how, how it goes from like light to primary, you know, producers, secondary producers, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. It's just really important because then you don't get uh, hoodwinked by people who just, who they hit you with a photophilus crops thrive and have stronger disease resistance with n like nothing else. Not even a citation. Say. No citation. You're just going to roll over for no data. It's funny. I, I, uh, I had somebody on my uh, Instagram account recently 
um, criticized me for uh, saying that I never cite my sources, which I thought was very surprising. I'm usually catching flack for maybe the consideration that I over rely on academic or empirical sources, but like, um, this is why that's important in my opinion. Well, and then you, you reply to that comment, which is important to say, you put the sources in the, literally in the description of every one of your videos and they were commenting, complaining, like you're not making the sources easy enough to find. I, yeah, I don't know. I can't, I don't know. I can't win on that one. I suppose I'll have to do better. <laughs> I'll say this. You can't, you can't please everybody. So I, I don't true. think you have to do better. That that's just, they're going to have to uh, reevaluate their circumstances there. Perhaps a little bit, but, um, but yeah. And also sometimes people uh, like, I like to take footage from people. Some of those people I think are even in the chat here right now or in the past uh, who've made some great footage. And I love to credit them. Although I'll be, I'll admit, I'll be honest, if you can believe it, Sometimes people who send me pests don't want it associated with their name <laughs> and they ask me to not uh, put their name out there, which is totally fair and I respect people's privacy too. So um, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting topic, but yeah, I think it's really important to, to be uh, honest about where you're, where you're deriving the conclusions that you're making. And it's easy to just say that you do something scientifically or if it's science-based, um, you could say that your diet is plant-based, but if you, if 50% of it is meat or 80% of it is meat, is it plant-based? I don't know. Like that's why the details are always more important than the marketing point. Think, Should this be I the teaser? Should people, we? I think, well, I think a lot of people, just to cap, just to cap that a little bit, I think a lot of people like are intimidated by how fucking smart you are and how, how well-versed you are with this stuff. And, you know, and to some people that's encouraging, like, Obviously, a lot of the people that hang out here, we fucking love that shit. It encourages us. It propels us. And some people are just, you know, they're going to they're going to fuck their lives up with every relationship they make, including yours. So don't worry about it. <laughs> That's very touching. I appreciate it. That is an endearing point to make. Some some people just think differently than you and you have to accept that. And sometimes people are actually wrong. I mean, like we don't want to say it because like the customer is always right kind of thing or like the follower or whatever it is at this point. But sometimes people are actually wrong. And then sometimes science is wrong. Like uh, with this current pandemic, the thoughts on everything changes a lot. So like people are wrong at one point and then they adjust when the new science comes out. And somebody commented that like, you know, the medical establishment unrelated to the pandemic hasn't always been the best, right? We used to do lobotomies on people, which is like we drill into their brains and shit to try and make them better. And uh, now we know that that's not the best idea and we've advanced our sciences and moved forward. But that being said, I still think that our current uh, medical state has a lot of questionable practices that might not be uh, as effective in some cases as we might hope that they were, but I won't get too deep into that. We've got about nine minutes left, so we'll keep it on the canvas side of things. And um, I guess maybe I'll pass it over to Aaron and, and ask because a lot of the people here probably didn't uh, get to tune in late night last night to catch the uh, episode of talk, Talking Shit with the Eagle there. But um, how are things going in the garden? You, we talked a little bit about it at the beginning when you jumped in. What kind of strains are you growing over there? You brought your own soil. Uh, did you bring any of your own genetics? And uh, how was how everything? Uh, yeah, thanks for asking, Jack. Uh, I, I did. I brought my own soil. I brought my own genetics. Um, of course, traveling with uh, live plants is risky. So that's actually why the plant packer was invented. Um, I was like searching online. I'm like, I'm not going to pay $30 a unit for these clone shippers. So 
like, uh, let's, let's put something together. So my wife and I put this, this plant packer together and just out of a few different parts and we modified some of the inserts and it's like, this is going to work, man. And we got 90 some plants, you know, from California to Oklahoma. And, um, so people started asking about it and we just said, fuck it, let's start making this shit and put it on the website. And, and it's been working out. Um, but yeah, so I have my genetics here right now. I'm running a Sunday driver. Um, that's a black sheep farms cut. I think they're in Oregon. I, there's a bunch of different black sheep out there in the cannabis industry, but I think these guys are in Oregon. I got the cut through Zen farms. Um, super fire. Can't wait. It's kind of a lower yielder, but it's like, just, I wanted to come out of the gate swinging, swinging for the fence, like on quality. So I got that going. I got blue cookies and then I have uh, some Baja blast. So really excited about those strains and, uh, yeah. And, and check out Eagle show, man. I had a lot of fucking fun. I got fucked up last night, man. I ate a glob of RSO and it was just, it was, I always have a lot of fun with him. He, he brings out the worst and best in me. <laughs> it was a good time. I jumped in the, uh, we nerd world there after and, uh, hung out for a little bit. It was, uh, Oh yeah. You were sure. in the chat. Thanks for, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. No problem, man. Got to support the, uh, fellow growing with my fellow growers members and, and everybody over there. It's good show. Good dude, Eagle and uh, smiley with the organics takeovers and also the Michigan bros grow show. Another great show that's about to come on in about seven minutes from now. So, um, in about a minute or two, we'll go into our final thoughts and shout outs, but, um, I want to ask Aaron a little follow-up on the Sunday driver. Uh, I know that's a Canarado or I should say, I assume it's a Canarado genetic and I believe it's a fruity pebbles, OG, crossed to something else i can't remember maybe wedding cake or something um what kind of smells are you getting coming off that and is that what was the actual cross if you remember it's a great pie I that's it great um, pie great uh -oh. pie and fruity pebbles og maybe or great pie and something else I think my uh, connection might be fucked. Can you hear me? Okay. All right. Well, I thought, Good I think, it, yeah, it was, it's a, uh, I'm pretty sure it's yeah. FBOG and great pie. If I remember correctly. I just Googled and uh, leafly is agreeing with you. So I will go ahead and say that that is correct. And that's what it, if I remembered correctly and I didn't, I thought it was wedding cake, but a uh, great pie. It's, are you getting any grapiness? Are you getting any like uh, fruity pebble phenos? Like what, what kind of smells do you get when you, or have you ran it through flower? Is this your first time flowering it? Uh, this, I have a different black, uh, a different Sunday driver cut that I've run before. This is, this will be the first time for this particular selection. Yeah. It's a, they're, and they're both Canarado just selected by different folks. Um, the other one that I have is, is actually pretty fucking gassy coming out of that FPO, but this one has more of a fruity and this will be the first time. So I'm in like week three and it's got a little bit of fruit and certainly some sweetness. Um, I'm excited to see what comes of it. Nice, man. I, I love the uh, fruity pebbles. I just had a sample of it last night. It was pretty decent. Not the best one that I've ever come across, but I love some of those sweeter smells. The uh, grape pie parent is a lot like the velvet punch. It's got the same ester methyl anthranolate, which makes that artificial grape flavoring that many of us know from kool-aid or different candies and medicines and things like that but uh the velvet punch definitely is a lot gassier um it's got the grape kind of candy flavor with a little bit of fuel in there as well 
the F3s, I've got a Fino that I am kind of referring to as like the OMGG, like, oh my goodness, because it makes me say that involuntarily when I smell it. I just like, Velvet Punch has had this tendency. Uh, I'll smell it and let out like, and it's normally like an oh my God, but I'm just calling it oh my goodness. And I was thinking like, oh my goodness, grapeous or oh my grape gas, like OMGG kind of thing for like F3s. This is like a name for one of the phenos or something like that. But it is definitely super grapey. And I'm looking forward to uh, sending in those out to all the F2 testers who grew them. So uh, shout out to anybody who grew the Velvet Punch F2. You're going to get F3s in the next month or so. So you won't have to do anything. I've got your address. I will contact you ahead of time to make sure it is the same address that you're at for the F2s because it's been a while. But uh, I have that to look forward to on the horizon. And with that said, I want to make sure everybody gets their time to give their final thoughts and shout outs. First, starting with Aaron the Grower. Thanks, Jack. Uh, this has been a fucking blast. Um, really missed you guys. And I'm glad to start to carve some time out um, for this. I'm actually sitting at the tip of my barn now. I got the phone uh, connecting me to my hotspot. So I have a halfway decent connection because Lord knows if I use my satellite internet, you, you'll, you'll hear me tomorrow. So uh, I'm, I'm Aaron the Grower, atgacres.com, atgacres on Instagram. Check me out. I'd love to answer questions um, on either one of those places. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. That's it, man. Love you guys. We love you too, man. Always happy to have you and lots of growers love from the chat and the community around afterwards. They're happy to have you back. I saw some comments on the last show uh, praising and cheering that you were back with us. So I am uh, very happy to have you as well and to be able to be here present with you, uh, not physically, but on the Zoom call. It's been great this past hour and uh, we look forward to having you more in the future. And with that said, we got Noah the Groa. Yeah, I had a great time today and uh, yeah, I'm Noah the Groa with two weeks. You can find me there on Instagram and uh, most weeks here with everybody and I'll see everybody next week. Thanks again for joining us, Noah. And uh, next up, we've got Matthew Gates. I really enjoyed this uh, conversation because we got to talk about uh, kind of interesting sort of uh, maybe questionable products and also aspects of them that aren't as questionable. And I always love to talk about this stuff. As you well know, if you like more content about that kind of thing, uh, you can check me out on zentanol.com for professional inquiries, zentanol on YouTube as well. You can join my IPM Discord, over 110 people now, I think. Uh, which is uh, my Patreon, patreon.com slash sentinel, and then Discord, of course. You get the link for subscribing. And you can also get me on at SyncAngel, Instagram, and Twitter. And I post a lot of interesting research reports there as well. Pleasure having you as always. I appreciate uh, that you do actually share your sources uh, despite the claims and that you come on and you share so much good information with us here uh, on this show each week, but also on your individual platform. So I do encourage people to support that Patreon, even if it's just at $1 a month to start and get access to that Discord. It's a great community over there and the IPM is much needed. Uh, and trust me, it'll come get to you someday. Not to scare you, but it's better to be prepared than not. So. Uh, thank you again, Matthew. And last and certainly not least, the American one. If you can find his mute button while he's looking yeah, for it. Yeah, it didn't come up. I'm all right. I'm back. Uh, Jack, as always, thanks for being the host. You always do an excellent job of that. It's always awesome talking with all you boys about cannabis and its intricacies. And it's always good uh, checking in on chat. I wish I could be there more. 
Um, but yeah, I'm the American one on YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore 18s on the IG. Most of you know me. And uh, yeah, have a great week. Grow as love. Thanks for joining us, Tao. Pleasure to have you as always. And uh, I'm last. And uh, you can find me right here at Jack Greenstock on Instagram. Uh, here every week for most weeks, I should say, on the YouTube. And then Jack underscore Greenstock on Twitter. And um, if you want a copy of my book, 50 Strains of Green, you can go to 50strains.com. I'm working on 50 Strains of Purple. It's not out yet. A lot of people have asked, hey, when can I get my copy? Uh, hopefully by Christmas time this year is the goal. Uh, maybe even Thanksgiving if I really put the work in. But uh, it's underway. It'll also be on 50strains.com if you're looking for a copy of that. And uh, thank you, everybody, for the support. I want to give a few shout-outs before we go. Thunder Dan, 4x4, Close the Door, Purple Thumb, Dirt Road Dude, Laura Camp, We Just 207, Jim Owen, and Ty Grow. Thank you guys all so much, Crack Babies DWC. It's great seeing you all every week. I know there's many, many more that I didn't get to name, but uh, we appreciate you listening live. We appreciate everybody who listens after the fact on the podcast, which I'm going to try and upload as soon as possible. So uh, thank you all, and have a great week. Jack Greenstock, signing out. Peace and love. And for Dr. MJ, Grower's love, everybody. Catch you next week.